All right. Good morning, everyone. Let's get um. Let's get started. Let's uh, get our coffees, our donuts, and get situated. Situated. We're gonna be back in the confession today. We're in chapter fifteen. Title is of repentance to life and salvation. I know we had a break last week because of the moving up ceremony. So I do. I do want to do a sort of very minor recap of, of what we discussed the week before. Uh, but before we do so, I, let, let's pray and ask God's blessing on this time, that he'll minister to our hearts, give me clarity of thought, and, 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 and touch our hearts uh, with his word. <coughs> let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear God, for this day. We thank you, dear God, for uh, just being in this house with our brothers and sisters, O oh Lord. I pray, dear God, that our presence to each other would be encouragement, O oh Lord, that it would be uh, uh, in the spirit of exhortation, dear God, that we would hold each other accountable, that we would exhort one another to, into love, into good works, into growing in the, uh, in the, in the knowledge of, of the scriptures, Dear God, and I pray, dear God, that it would also be a time of refreshment, that we would be refreshed by our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ, dear God. But first and foremost, O oh Lord, we thank you for your presence uh, here, O oh God. And I pray, O oh Lord, that our response to your presence and to, would be uh, worship, that it would be gratitude, that it would be of reverence, that it would be of, of an earnestness to learn and to, and, to, and to be under the teaching of your word, dear God. And so, Father, right now I pray uh, for the families that are represented in this room, uh, for the families that are represented in this entire building, this church, dear God. I, you, know, um, you know the needs and cares and desires of each heart, dear God, for our hearts are laid bare before you and you see our every thought right now, oh God. And so, Father, I pray, dear God, that you would take those thoughts captive that we, you would remove from us anxieties and worries of the week and work and graduations and school and whatever it might be, dear God, that right now you would take our very thoughts captive and, and, and our hearts captive, dear God, and that we would be all on board, dear God, with, with uh, uh, going through your word. And Father, I pray for clarity of thought and clarity of speech, dear God, that your words would come forth uh, from um, from my mouth, dear God, that um, uh, that your word, that you would be magnified and glorified. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would be magnified and glorified, O oh God. So, Father, have your way with us this morning, and we pray, dear God, that uh, that you would bless this time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, of repentance to life and salvation. Uh, so, if you remember two weeks back, we read through these five points here in chapter 15, for those that are just coming in, uh, repentance to life and salvation. We read through these points, but we really didn't discuss them. Uh, I wanted to lay a foundation for what is repentance. And we went through and we discussed several points, and I threw up an illustration of a tree uh, on there. We kind of spent the entire class breaking down that tree and how the roots uh, represented something, the soil represented something, the trunk and the branches, and then ultimately the fruit. So I'd like to just kind of, via, via quiz, uh, recap that with you. So number one, uh, and again, I'm not going to put the picture of the tree up, but we remember it was a tree, it had roots, and there was like a, the line there that you could see that it was the soil, so underground and, the, and everything on there. What did the soil represent? What did we say the soil represented? 
foundation. The hearts. The regenerate heart. Right? So this is the heart of a person that the Holy Spirit has done the work of convicting them of their sin. Right? That, that the, this, is, this is the new birth. Right? That they're born of the Spirit. That their heart of stone has been turned to a heart of flesh, as the Word tells us. So this is the regenerate heart. So basically, this is a person that is saved. Okay? So the soil represents the regenerate heart. Only a regenerate heart, a heart that's alive. Only soil that is fertile can spurt growth, right? Dead soil, we read the parable of the sower. You know, rocky soil, soil that was not tilled or prepared or that isn't fertile, uh, will not produce fruit, okay? So the soil represents the regenerate heart. And we said that repentance is like the tree that takes root in the regenerate heart. So we looked at the root, and there was kind of two parts to the root. Uh, we gave a definition. Anybody remember one of those two parts? One of the roots of repentance. There's two pieces. Anybody remember one? You can guess. It's all right if you get it wrong. It was two weeks ago. I, I barely remember myself. One is a true sense of what? Sin. A true sense of our sin. So, in order to have repentance, in order for there to be repentance, number one, you need a regenerate heart. Number two, you need to have a true sense of your sin. Why? When you repent, it is a turning away from sin, a turning towards God, but there, there needs to be a what? A recognition of our sinfulness. If there isn't a recognition of our sinfulness, then what need do we have to be reconciled? What need do we have to, for a Savior? Right? So there needs to be a true sense of sin. And we read in here, we read about the example of the prodigal son, that he had a true sense, he said, uh, of, uh, of the Father. What did he say? He said, I sinned against heaven against you, right? So he had a true sense of his sin, and he said, and, and, and there was a, a sense of not being worthy, right? A sense of not being worthy. So a true sense of repentance is one of the roots that takes hold in a, a uh, true sense of sin, sorry, is one of the roots that takes hold in the regenerate heart. You have a true sense of your sin. You, you realize your need for Christ, that you cannot, with all your good works that are as filthy rags, the scriptures would tell us, cannot bring yourself not only even to God's part, but you'll never go from there. Right? So a true sense of sin. So one of the roots is a true sense of our sin. And the second one, if anybody remembers, we used a word that we tried to define and it was kind of weird. Start with an A. An apprehension of the mercy of God. Very good. Uh, apprehension of the mercy of God. And, and we had talked about apprehension as, you know, there's one definition that's like a little bit like, oh, you know, being a little cautious about something. But we went through it. I think Joey gave the definition that it means to grasp or understand, to apprehend something. Think of uh, the police apprehending a suspect. You know, they, they've got him in, in their custody, right? So a, a grasp of the mercy of God. And this was, to me, the, the most beautiful part, I think, of, of, of that lesson, is that, yes, we need to have, for, for there to be repentance, it needs to take root in a regenerate heart, we need to have a true sense of our sin, but also an apprehension or a true understanding that there is mercy at the cross of Christ. 
just beautiful, right? It's, it's not, we're not left to sit there sulking and realizing how sinful we are, but that we're also, by work of the Holy Spirit, I can't emphasize that enough, know that there is mercy in our God. That we can come to our God, that we will find grace and mercy in God. And we read it in the same example of the prodigal son, where the prodigal son, by means, just the fact that he had that inner dialogue, and he, and he goes, I'll go to my father and tell him that I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against him, and perhaps maybe he'll take me back, even as a hired hand. So that inner dialogue represented in the prodigal son at least the knowledge that there is enough mercy in his father that he would at least accept him as a hired hand. Otherwise, he would have said, I won't go to my father. He's never going to take me back, right? So there's that recognition of mercy, which is beautiful. Remember back, if you can remember back to a time prior to, uh, to, to salvation, prior to, to, to being convicted of your sin, uh, if you could remember back to a time where you have that weightiness of your sin, you, 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 well, actually, before that, you probably didn't have any weight, to your sin. Your sin probably didn't bear on you, but when you were convicted of your sin, remember the joy and salvation knowing that feeling the burden of your sin lifted. That you know that Christ carries that burden now. And that sense of that sense of not, oh, well, you know, now I'm, I'm clean, I got away, you know, all that stuff is gone, but now, now there's a sense of I, I want to live to obey, to please my Lord and Savior. Right? That sense of the mercy that has been shown to me, the grace that has been shown to me, I don't want to say the word motivates me, but, but because of that grace, I, I want to now honor and glorify out of gratitude, out of, out of worship to Him that He has lifted that burden. Now I want to live to please my Lord and Savior. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As we look in here. So we had um, the soil represented the, the regenerate heart, the saved heart, to make it sound simpler. Root is, uh, the root of repentance is a true sense of our sin, our need for a Savior, and our offense before God. The, also, the other part of the root is just the understanding that there is mercy and grace, that salvation can be found in God. So we've got both the need and the... What's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say solution, but... The way to satisfy that need is in Christ Jesus. We've got the trunk of the tree, which is bursting forth from the soil, which, uh, which represents the turning away and towards God, right? turning away from our sin and towards God. And we've got branches and fruit that ultimately, the end result is obedience. The fruit that grows on the tree is obedience. So it starts from a true sense of our sin, knowing that there's mercy in God, turning away from that sin, heading, living a life directed towards God, and not just staying stagnant, but producing fruit. You remember, every tree that doesn't bear fruit is what? <clears throat> Cut off and thrown to the fire. What is a tree that doesn't bear fruit? It's a telephone pole, right? Is what it is. I think that's what we said it was. Right? So today... We're not going to talk, now that we have our definition and our illustration of repentance, right, we're going to talk uh, and look at these points. So if you have it up on the website, foundersministries.org, library, 1689 confession, chapter 15, 
We're going to talk uh, through these points now having had a definition of what repentance is. So now when we say repentance, it's everything that we just recapped. And so there's a lot behind just the word repentance here. So let's go ahead and start at point number one. Sean, can you read point number one, the entire thing? Some of the elect are converted after their early years. Having lived in the natural state for a time and served various evil desires and pleasures, God gives these repentance to life as part of their effectual call. Alright, so let's listen to this. Some of the elect are converted after their early years. What is that saying to us? It says it very plain English, but I want to hear, I'm, I want participation today. Right? I want to know that I'm not alone here. So, some of the elect, which means what? Not all of the elect. Okay, Some of the elect are converted after their early years. What does that mean? When they're older. When they're older, yeah. Some of them, uh, some of them are converted when they're older. Let's talk about this. Right? The, the next couple phrases here actually talks about this. But without reading ahead, what does that mean? Practically in, in, in our lives. Like, what does that mean? You, sound, you look like you were going to yeah, say something. Well, I mean, ultimately, God's timing and His plan is perfect and it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and different for salvation, we're talking about salvation. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, and that's an acknowledgement of God's sovereign decrees, right? Of, of the elect. We're, notice the word there is some of the elect. So, there's already a predetermined beginning to the sentence, uh, and then it says some of the elect. Now, if the elect are predetermined to be saved or not saved, then by implication. What they're saying here is the timing of their salvation is also what? Predetermined. So as we read this again, some of the elect are converted after their early years. It means, who are the youngest people in the room? Ah, it's got to be either Izzy or Amia, right? Because they just joined that. By the way, welcome them to our class. They just graduated out. We're going to have them stand and share their testimonies now. No. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. So, some of the elect are converted after their early years. So, this means later on in life. And what Jake said was absolutely true, right? That God has preordained that they would come to salvation later. What does that also mean in, in, in time and space, in, in reality, in human life, in, in terms? It means that they have lived a life of what? A life of sin. Apart from God, that's the point that we're getting to. An unregenerate uh, life of sin for years. Now, what age that is, is subjective. But we're assuming it's beyond those youthful years, right? Where the riper years, I believe it's, it's, it's what, the, um, what the actual book calls it. Those that are saved in riper years. So that means, you know, the adult who has gone through, you know, uh, a sinful Youth, a sinful adolescence, a sinful early 20s, let's say, uh, maybe 30s. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, no, limit. no limit, really, right? No limit. Um, you know, I'm just trying to stay faithful to the word early here. I'm assuming that early would be what? Old, I don't want to say older people. What do you think? <laughs> 
Early years, what would we say? Let's, let's put a number on it just for the sake of the lesson. 20s? After the early years? So after the 20s, you're old? Sort of? 30s? 30s. So let's say after the 30s. And again, this is just for reference, okay? So that we're not all talking ideals here. Someone converted after the 30s. Now, some of you... Yo, let's do this. Can we raise our hands, those of us that were converted after our 30s? After our 30s? All right. Those, those before the 30s? Okay. So there's a lot in here for you before the 30s, guys. All right? This isn't just about Len. So. <laughs> and Jasper. All right. Some elected converted after their early years, and here's what that means, right? And we said it. Having lived in the natural state. Now, if you're looking at your sheet there, you got natural, you got the letter A by it, and then underneath where the notes are, the reference to that A says, without the capital S spirit. The natural state is what? It's not saved. Yes, what, what it's saying here is without the Holy Spirit, but... Is there anyone saved that is without the Holy Spirit? No. No. So it's talking about having lived unsaved in an unsaved state for a time and served various evil desires and pleasures. All of us. Right? Maybe for a less amount of time, maybe for more amount of time. We've all served various evil desires and pleasures. And in terms of the human view, they vary in terms of severity. Right? In terms of the human view. Before the eyes of a perfect holy God, they are all worthy of damnation. Condemnation. Right? Sinful. They all trample on the cross of, of, of Christ. But we see here, so those of you who are elect... God has sovereignly decreed to save some of you after, you know, during your riper years, which means that you, for a time, were serving your evil desires and pleasures. And it says, God gives these repentance to life as part of their effectual calling. So, this is a great, great point here. So, it establishes that God is sovereign and He elects those that He will save. He predetermines the time of their salvation and all the sin that they commit through their lives are still, even for those that maybe are converted younger, those that have accumulated this greater burden, I would say just because of the sake of time, right? A greater burden. Yet, God gives them repentance, right? It's funny because repentance is something we should have and turn towards God. But you see that it's something that God gives to these people as part. So what does part mean? Not the whole. That's part of their effectual calling. So repentance is a component of, Mike answered this last week, I said, is repentance the same as salvation? And the answer was both yes and both no, right? Repentance in and of itself is not salvific. But it is in the sense that true repentance only happens in the regenerate heart. So it's all part of this process. And that's why it says it's part of their effectual calling, right? We're getting truly Calvinistic now. What is the effectual calling? 
Some would call it irresistible grace, right? That when God, when the Holy Spirit regenerates a heart, that heart will respond in saving faith to the gospel. Predetermined by God at a specific time, whether older or younger, it is sovereignly a work of God via the Holy Spirit here. So, huh? He gave the new heart as well, right? So there can be worldly repentance, and there is. There, there are unregenerate people that, that repent of certain things they've done, and they seek forgiveness of the person that they offended, etc. And, 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 which is good, right? It's good. But this is the repentance to life and salvation. This is not the repentance of easing my guilt, Okay, so and notice it does not come from us is the end point here. Let's turn to Titus 3, uh, verses 2 to 5. Titus 3, 2 to 5. Where is this thing in my notes? Here we go. Titus 3, 2 to 5, it speaks of, it says, uh, I'm reading the New American Standard here. It says, to malign no one, to be peaceable gentle, showing every consideration for all men, for we also were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration. Here you go. Here we go. Sorry, not here you go. Here we go. The washing of regeneration. What is that washing? Remember, Christ said you have to be born, uh, you know, born of water, born of the Spirit. Right? Here's that baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not you know, something that makes you cackle and bark like a dog and, 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 and you know, whatever sound a turkey makes. I can think of what a turkey makes. Gobble. Gobble. There you go. All right. But he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we have in there... So, We were washed by the Holy Spirit. We go back to our point here. And some of us were washed by the Holy Spirit later on in life. Some earlier in life here. So um, let's also read here 2 Chronicles as an example. Actually, we don't have to read it. I'll I'll tell you what it is. But 2 Chronicles 33, 10-20 speaks of Manasseh. We know who Manasseh is? Was he he a really nice guy? No. No? Anybody remember what he did? Say again? Father Hezekiah. Father Hezekiah, yeah. Was he a good king? No. No, he was an evil king, right? What he did, almost irrelevant. Because we've committed the same atrocities before a holy, perfect God that Manasseh did. Right, so let's never read the scriptures and go, how evil was this guy, right? When we lied, we committed the same sin that, that condemned us, right? All right. And we're all born in iniquity anyway. But Manasseh... You read about Manasseh's repentance here. Um, I'll read just a little section. 
It says, uh, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. They paid no attention, etc., etc., etc. And it goes on near verse 19, I want to say here. Uh, it says, here we go. When he was in distress, Manasseh, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And then after this, it talks about everything that Manasseh did, how he rebuilt things and everything. point of this is Manasseh, it, 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 we're pointing this as to Manasseh, how evil he was, and it was later on that he was granted this, uh, this repentance and that he moved uh, towards pleasing uh, God and got rid of and, and restored uh, Jerusalem. We have Acts chapter 9. Anybody know what that is? The conversion of who? Paul. We all know Paul's story. I mean, what did Paul do? Persecuted Christians. Right? To us, as being Christians, we would say, that's the worst thing you can do. Right? Right? It's always something that, that, that we identify with that it's like the worst thing that, that can be done if it's something that, you know, it's against me. He persecuted and murdered Christians. Again, no different than you hating your brother. No different than you having sex out of marriage. No different than you uh, harboring ill will towards your brother in your heart than telling a lie. Right? It doesn't have to be murder. It's sin before God. We read about Paul's conversion. So Paul's Paul's conversion happened, Acts chapter 9. Where, when we read before that, he tells us that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he went through the religion. He grew in, in, in the, um, you know, as far as the religious um, uh, establishment that he was growing up in, taught under Gamaliel. He did all these things, but it wasn't until Acts chapter 9, after the stoning of Stephen, after all of that, that he gave approval to. All, I don't know how many Christians he put in jail. Or, or had killed or executed, etc. But it wasn't until Acts chapter 9 that the Lord Jesus got a hold of him. Right? And so we, we could read Acts chapter 9, we could read uh, Acts 16, where it talks about that Philippian jailer. Right? Remember the jailer that uh, he was going to uh, kill himself, and then they, they told, don't kill yourself, etc. So more than, instead of reading all of these, I think we're familiar with the stories here. Another example of someone that came to a saving faith after some time. Now, why are we making a distinction? Why are we talking about Len and Jasper here? Right? Why are we talking about Len and Jasper? This is a lesson that was ultra important that I shared with the youth um, a few, uh, during these last times that we got together. But why the distinction about repentance in early years versus later years? Can somebody maybe want to try and, and see why we might have that? Why a distinction? Why is the confession making a distinction? Remember, this is sort of a, uh, not a clarification, but just an expanding upon the Westminster Confession, you know, that John Owen and all those guys wrote. Um, but why do you think we're talking about later years versus earlier years? Anybody have an idea? Yeah, DJ. Well, I think it can very easily be the difference in growth time, the difference in the circumstances around that person. I think it's all part of God's, the, the intricacies of God's plan, where he has people. There's a lot of reasons. He also says um, 
Jesus himself has said he was forgiven much, loves much. Mm-hmm. And it's all very, I think it's very individual. Mm-hmm. The way God plans things. Yes. Well, I, I want to hang on to the word testimony that you just said. Right? So the distinction here is, and this is an important distinction, and I'm glad that Amia and, and, and Inzi are, are with us now, is one of the things that we shared with the youth, uh, right, the last few weeks, the leaders all gave testimonies, Robert and Sylvia, uh, Becky, Dom shared, etc. And there were some differences in those testimonies. Dom's testimony was very different from Robert and Sylvia's testimony and Kim, etc. And one of the things that the difference in the contrast was that some people, like it says here, come to know the Lord after many years. And that testimony has more, it has a lot of things to tell. Some, and a lot of you here, our kids were raised in the church. And there's something here that the uh, the book that the, the teachers have here calls crisis experience. And you saw that in Manasseh, you saw that in Paul, you saw, you see that in the Philippian jailer. They had to go through a ton of things before Christ got a hold of them. Right? They went through, and, and the same thing as some of these testimonies, uh, some of these leaders, they went through a lot of things in their life. They, they rebelled or or, you know, difficult situations that they were in. There's, uh, I think of, you know, I, I can recall someone from my, you know, my old church back in the days that, that said, you know what, I, I just, I need to experience life before I commit to Christ. And, and that person's life, though, though I truly believe that they are, they are saved now, but they c- kind of, what we would say, sort of, wrecked the in-between. And there's consequences to sin. Right? Even, even after we come to saving faith in Christ, we still, some of those consequences are lifelong, etc. But why the distinction is because for those that are saved later on in life, your salvation is no less than someone who was raised in the church. And for those that are raised in the church, your need for repentance is no less than those that came to saving faith later on in life. Right? We are born. Right? We talk about the federal headship that we are born of Adam. We, we, we have inherent sin. Right? We have uh, inherent sin? Is that, is that a word? Inherited sin. Inherited sin. So we are born under the fallen Adam. Right? We're in iniquity was I conceived, right, the psalmist says. Okay. Go ahead. Um, I think DJ uh, sort of alluded to it. Okay. Um, wouldn't you say that, and, and what I kind of get from this, and maybe I'm speaking along the lines of what you're getting to, or what you're saying yeah. is... Going to point two with it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's that the fact of, there's no, other than God's predetermined, there's no, like, human predetermined time when somebody is led to salvation. There's no, that's like... When you turn 14, all of a sudden you become a human, uh, you become saved. Or whatever. Right. So it shows that God is the one that determines the time and date and everything when you will be saved. So it could be when you're 6, it could be when you're 16, it could be when you're 65. Yeah. You know, yeah. that it's it's all in God's hands. Yeah. So 
that that's like that, that's what I'm saying. Like when it comes down to the fact of the difference between converted and later years or the early years, it's like it's, it's all in God's hands. Right. It's all in God's hands. Yeah. But in looking back, in looking back, and this is something that I want like the younger people to understand too is it it also establishes that we all have our individual relationships with Christ. Right, and what I've tried to tell the youth is your parents, and we've had elders kids in the youth, uh, the Sabato kids, Ochogroso kids, you know, deacon kids, my kids, etc. Your parents are not going to answer for your eternal soul before Christ. Right? So repentance and that sovereign, that predetermining of God establishes the individual responsibility that we have. Some come to it later, some come to it sooner, but we all will stand before the judgment seat of, of Christ, right? And so we have that basically what, what, why it makes that distinction is because of what paragraph 2 is going to tell us. Paragraph 2 says this, and I'll read it for the sake of time. There is no one who does good and does not sin. So for those who came to saving faith later on, right, that they were granted that repentance... And to those that were born in the church, they don't have that story to tell of how they were abused or, or they don't have that story to tell because all they've known is the church. I was one of those. Right? I was raised in the church, but I wasn't truly saved till I was 18. I was president of my youth group. I sang in the worship team. Uh, my family was one of the leadership families and all that. And here I was the first 18 years, like, I was literally born in the church. I wasn't, I wasn't saved. You know, you, you saw me at church and you saw me in school, two totally different people. Uh, I gave a testimony one time of a friend that I saw after high school. And, and, and I saw him and he told me he was Christian. I was like, oh, me too. And he was like, really? Hmm. Like he, he would have never guessed that I was, I was a Christian from what he saw that I was in high school. Right? So, Point two tells us whether later, whether repentance is granted later on as per, per the sovereign will of God or at an early age. Point two tells us there is no one who does good and does not sin. Even the best may fall into great sins and offenses through the power and deceitfulness of the corruption in them. So I, I, I like that. Uh, well... I don't like that, right? But I like that the way it's stipulated here, the way it's said here. It says, even the best may fall into great sins and offenses through the power and deceitfulness of the corruption in them. Now here, I just, I just want to talk about the point of like how we don't need Satan to be sinful. I, you know, I think Satan, number one, he's not, uh, Sean has said this several times, he's not omnipresent, he's not omniscient, you know, whatever it might be. You might not even know that you exist, to be honest with you. You're doing well enough on your own. But I would, I would imagine Satan looks and goes, you know, wow, you know, do anything here. <laughs> yeah, this is easy, right? Um, we talk about babies, right? Who teaches a baby to lie? Like, it's like they, they learn it on their own. Who teaches a baby to like smack their other sibling? Like they, they learn it on they learn it on their own, etc. So there's no one that's good. We read we read this, and there's verses that I'd like to read, but I think we, you know for the sake of time and and, and um, whatever we'll continue. But we know that when 
when uh, Christ was asked, teacher, and what was Christ's response? He says, why do you call me good? There is no one that is good. We read in 1 John that anyone that says that I don't sin is what? Is a fool, is a liar, right? And he's not in the light. He's not part of the truth. So there's no one who does good and does not sin. Meaning what? We are all in need of repentance. Later or sooner, older or younger, we all must repent. And section 1 told us that that's part of the effectual calling. So it's all part of the... I have to be careful. I don't want to get to a a hyper-Calvinistic, well, wait a second, if it's just going to happen, then why am I... You know, why do I need to preach the gospel? What do I need to all this? Right? Because God has ordained means as well, too. He's told us to preach. Okay? So it's, it's not... Those of us that are saved have to walk in obedience. Remember that repentance leading to fruit, which is obedience to the word of God? What has God commissioned us to do? Preach the gospel. Right? And that's the vehicle by which he calls... that He regenerates hearts, and the gospel call plants the seed. Right? That, that falls onto good soil. But... Corruption in them. So even the best may fall. Let's talk about this biblically. Who's one of the best in your mind from the Bible? Aside from Jesus. Jesus is perfect. Daniel? Daniel. Is Daniel a sinner? Absolutely. Anyone else? David. David. David's David's one of my favorites. Huh? David, Peter, those are both the examples that I'm supposed to talk about here, but we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, Moses, was he one of the best? Yeah. Murderer, sinner, yep. Who else? Abraham, the father of, of, of the faith. How about Noah? Noah. Was Noah a sinner? Yeah. 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 So, there's no one who does good. Only, it's only Jesus Christ that was, that was sinless. But using the example of... Uh, actually, David uh, would have been a good example for, uh, for someone that... Well, is a good example of even the best. Like, what, what does it say about David? And I've shared this with Becky. I was like, the one thing I love that the Bible says about David is the mercy and grace that God showed on his descendants. And he references my love for David... Right, because of who your grandfather was, I'm going to show you this mercy. And I'm like, what a thing to strive for. Right? That a man after God's own heart. And yet, committed some of the worst sin, murder, adultery. It's unbelievable. But it's the corruption in him. We're not stuck there because this, the, the, our paragraph 2 continues. It says, Therefore God has mercifully provided in the covenant of grace. What is the covenant of grace? Mike, can you give us a one sentence covenant of grace? It's a new covenant in Jesus Christ. The new covenant in Jesus Christ. Right? The gospel. Uh, God has provided, has mercifully provided in the covenant of grace that believers who sin and fall will be renewed through repentance to salvation. All right. So here we go. After we are saved, do we continue to sin? Yes. yes, we do. But who do we have? Christ, the Holy Spirit. Right? He who began a good work in us will see it through. Right? And so we have the Holy Spirit 
within us, in a regenerate heart, we, have, we are to be renewed through repentance to salvation. So, on this side of the cross, on this side of the cross, we, we are saved, we have repentance, we know that there's no one that's good. Everyone falls into great sins and offenses, even after salvation. But yet God has provided... In the gospel of Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, I'll call Christ the covenant of grace, right? I can. And that believers who sin and fall will be renewed through repentance. That the Holy Spirit will move us to repent of those sins. Let me tell you, if we are saved or claim to be saved and we sin willfully and are not moved to repentance, that's why I said claim to be saved. The believer does not sin does not find joy in their sin. There might be a temporary pleasure of it, but there should be a godly sorrow after it. And I would even say, this is not a popular statement, we should not be stuck winning the same exact victory over and over and over again. We should have because that's not to say that, we, that there isn't a struggle with a particular sin. But to be renewed through repentance. Remember, ultimately, repent, true repentance is that turning away, the recognition of a sin, knowing there's mercy, turning away from our sin towards God, but then producing the fruit, which is obedience, new obedience. That's going to take us to uh, section uh, 3 here. Uh, but we should not... Enjoy sin. Would we agree with that? Okay. Alright. But even the best of us fall into it. We shouldn't enjoy it. Alright? Alright, let's move on to number three. Uh, there's a lot of scriptures to read, but, but they're, they were, they're basic in the sense that they just give an example of what we're talking about here. One example was David. One was uh, Luke 22, 31 that you see there was Peter's denial of Christ, showing that even someone so close to Christ, probably the closest to Christ at that time, uh, failed. And he, he denied Christ before, before men, right? So, point three says, this saving repentance is a gospel grace. Now, repentance is not what saves you, but it is part of that salvation, that order salutis, or the order of salvation, the process of salvation. We know that there's regeneration, there's repentance, turning towards God, obedience, etc., living that way. But it says, this saving repentance is a gospel grace. Going back to what Sean said earlier. So even the repentance is given by God. And we read that in, in, in some of the verses right earlier. Uh, the Repentance is a gospel grace. What does grace mean? It's a good news grace. Grace means unmerited favor. Right? You don't deserve it. God grants repentance even though you don't deserve it. So God grants you repentance so that you repent of your sins. It's given by God. Uh, we could read about that in Zechariah. Uh, 12.10, Acts 11.18. You can read that on your own, but I want to continue here and, and, and get to this piece. It says, this saving repentance, we've only got two minutes, so I'll probably need another another week, so I'll probably pick this up after Hoven Home from here, I hope. Uh, the saving repentance is a gospel grace in which those who are made aware by the Holy Spirit, and I like uh, each point that we get, 
we kind of hear it out in plain English a little more, that those who are made aware by the Holy Spirit of the many evils of their sin, by faith in Christ, humble themselves for it with godly sorrow, hatred of it, and self-loathing. They pray for pardon and strength of grace and determine and endeavor by the provisions from the Spirit to live before God in a well-pleasing way before everything. This goes back to the definition of repentance that I gave you two weeks ago, which was the shorter shorter, uh, catechism uh, built upon the Westminster Confession. It, It defines it as repentance is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin, we've talked about that, and apprehension of the mercy of God, we talked about that in Christ, apprehension, you know, understand that there's mercy of God in Jesus Christ, does with grief, this is what this point is talking about, does with grief and hatred of his sin. There's that hatred for sin that we need to have. Right? We, could, we could almost talk about that for, oh, what does hatred of sin look like it you, you almost feel like you had to list every sin and say what the opposite of it is it to, 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 to determine the hatred of it but I would say that a good way to have a hatred for your sin is to understand what it cost Christ to atone for it what that sin did to your savior that sin that you commit maybe on a daily basis that God has granted you the repentance and salvation you regenerated your heart. But do we have a hatred of sin? So, uh, saving grace whereby a sinner of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it, sin, unto God with the full purpose and endeavor after new obedience. So, uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to leave it there because there's a few things I want to unpack with this third, from three, four, and five. Um, but I don't have enough time to, to get into it. So I just want to leave you there with that definition. We're going to talk about three, four, and five in, I guess, two weeks because next week yeah, is Hoven. Uh, Hoven Home, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about this. So hopefully, from this, we, we all hate our sin. Hopefully we understand that our testimony, what, what happened to us in life, sovereignly decreed by God, that some of us came to repentance later on, some of us came forward, and it's, it's, more, it's more of a humbling of how God can use that. Right? I, I don't believe that God is just random and said, well, you know what, 30 for Jake, uh, you know, 6 for Amiya. No, God is very intentional. So why he does things, right? So let, let's, let, let's be humble and let us hate our sin and grieve over it and seek after new obedience. Let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, dear God, for the grace that you shower upon us. That we don't deserve your mercy, we don't deserve your grace, uh, but yet you granted us repentance. You put it in our hearts to repent of our sin Uh, Something we would never have come to on our own, dear God, but by your Spirit giving us new life, new birth. uh, You turned us from our sin to our Lord Jesus Christ, dear God. And I pray, dear God, that you would continue to lead us into new obedience, dear God. That we would be faithful stewards of the grace that you have shown us, oh God. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. 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 All right.